This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Tuesday the 26th of October 2021. And Norman, as we're reopening, we're coming back to normal life and more and more of us are getting vaccinated. Most of us, I think, are feeling pretty good about sort of re-entering society. But there's some people who are worried about the vulnerable people in their lives. And one of those people is Michael, who's written in. Uh, He says he hasn't listened to all 400 episodes, but he's pretty close to that. So thank you, Michael, for sticking it out with us through these turbulent times. But he lives with his independent 90-year-old mum. He's looking forward to being able to travel from Queensland where he lives to New South Wales and Victoria, but his mum is immunocompromised. She receives monthly immunoglobulin... Oh, help me out, Norman. How do I say this word? Immunoglobulin. Immunoglobulin. Antibodies. It took me six years of medicine to be able to pronounce that, so I forgive you completely. I obviously need to go to medical school. She's fully vaccinated, but he's just wanting to know what he can do to protect her. And I think probably there's a lot of people in similar situations as Michael wanting to do what they can to protect the vulnerable people that they love. So it's a really important question. His mum's having a booster jab next week, a third dose next week, which is great. Now, it, it is possible to ask for antibody studies to be done to see what sort of response she's had to the immunisation. And if it's pretty good, then that might help a little bit in terms of a bit more freedom. But you're really, really going to have to consult your mum's um, immunologist or specialist about that. But antibody tests, not just one, but maybe a few over a period of time, will just give a sense of whether or not she's responded to the immunization. So that's the first thing. So this is, you know, and this is probably generalizable to other people who've, who are immunocompromised and have a, th- a third shot. And I'm just not sure whether it's going to be routine to get the antibody studies done. And that, there is some debate about what they mean. The, the next thing is whether or not we're going to start giving some of these monoclonal antibodies to people who are immunocompromised over an extended period to replace the antibodies that vaccines might not be able to provide. Oh, so not as a treatment for someone who's sick, but as a way of kind of populating their body with these antibodies. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. Now, the one, the, the, the drug that's been specifically tested for this is the AstraZeneca uh, monoclonal antibody cocktail. It's actually two monoclonal antibodies. And they think that one injection will last a year and it's specifically designed for immunocompromised people. And that's looking pretty hopeful. But that's not yet available for somebody like your mum. In the meantime, for people who are wanting to be protected, who you think might be a bit immunocompromised, you could think about N95 masks, but N95 masks, if they're not properly fitted, are probably not much more effective than a standard surgical mask. Who's wearing the mask? Is it the person who's sick or is it the people who are visiting them? Well, it could be both, but certainly the person who is immunocompromised, if they wear a surgical mask, they are protected to some extent, not as much as you protect other people if you've got the virus, but you are protected to some extent. Um, but I'm not sure that anybody's training immunocompromised people in fit testing for N95 masks is fairly involved. So Michael's living with his mum in this situation, but there'll be a lot of people who just want to visit the person that they love. Um, are the things like rapid antigen testing or where you meet, are these considerations that people can have? Absolutely. Thank you for the prompt there, Tegan. Um, so so masks is one thing, meeting outdoors, highly ventilated situations, only meeting with people who are vaccinated, not going into enclosed stuffy environments and probably avoiding the gym. Those are the sorts of things that you would do and be co- essentially being cocooned. 
A question for grandparents who've got little kids, uh, little grand, little grandparents who've got uh, small grandchildren who are going to school and they're not yet covered. Probably just got to be a little bit careful of young kids at the moment. It's this long journey, like we were talking about yesterday, the very, very long, slow removal of this compression bandage, which is our COVID-19 restrictions that we're not just bouncing back into daily life like we had before. That's right. Rapid antigen testing could help. So, for example, if you've got grandchildren and they're going to school, if you're willing to go to the expense of it, then rapid antigen testing twice a week is pretty accurate at finding whether or not somebody's infect- actively infectious. And that could be an extra layer of protection. So boosters look like they're going to be rolling out soon, but there's still this discussion about whether natural immunity, that is having contracted the virus and mounting an immune response to it, you know, and getting sick versus just getting vaccinated and, and what it means for our next generation of vaccines that are still in development. Last year when we were talking about this, it looked as though that the vaccines that were being developed, particularly the mRNA vaccines, were were better than natural infection. That's not panned out. Um, they're, they're not as effective in terms of the bre- breadth of immunity. It looks as though natural immunity, in other words, if you get the natural infection, bad though that is, and you do not want to get it because you could die from it, you could get brain damage, heart damage, all those other problems, and long COVID. So this is not a good idea. But should you happen to get it, it does seem to provide a broader immunity with more resistance to variants than vaccination does. Especially if you also get vaccinated as well. Yes, that's right. So vaccination on top of a previous infection gives you um, slightly better immunity. So this review in The Lancet argues, just looking at the sort of immunity you get from the infection itself, is that the second generation vaccines, which are already being developed, there's two or three being developed in Australia, for example, should be designed to have that sort of broader range of immunity to the virus, in other words, attacking more parts of the virus than just the small part of the spike protein, useful though that's been for us. And that should make the second generation of vaccines, which will come along, even better than the ones we've got now. When do you think we're going to see second generation vaccines coming online? Well, they're in various stages of development around the world. I know that they're working on what's called phase one studies of the vaccines being developed in Melbourne, which means safety studies. And then they would move forward once those are successful to phase two and three studies. So from the sound of it, at least the Australian vaccines are not going to, if they they succeed and get through phase three studies, it's going to be at least a year away, if not more. So on vaccination, we've had some the normal questions that we always get, but we've also had some unusual questions come through that I want to put to you today, Norman. The first one being, will my pets need to be vaccinated too? Um, Not at this point. Um, We need to talk to a vet about that. There are some pets like cats who can catch it, maybe pass it on. If you have pet mink, then you probably want to be careful. For more context about the mink comment, go back to a health report from, I think, January? It was very interesting. But I think humans have priority right now. Absolutely. And someone asking, more than one person asking, will there be any plant-based COVID vaccines? It sounds like a nutty question, but it's not a nutty question at all. The Novavax vaccine uses cells from moths and tree tree bark to produce its vaccine. So it's partly plant-based. Also, there are companies looking at plant-based vaccines, which work a little bit like the AstraZeneca and Johnson vaccines. So they use plant viruses to which they attach the antigens, in other words, the bit of the COVID virus that stimulates an immune response, and inject that so that it's a harmless virus that goes into your body and stimulates an immune response, but it's from plants to which is attached the antigen for the 
COVID-19 yet to be proven. And not not such a wacky question. There have been people asking questions about fertility and the vaccines, and there's been a, a new study looking at the AstraZeneca vaccine. Yeah, so this study looked at the clinical trials of the Astra vaccine. Pregnant women were eliminated from these trials. They weren't allowed to be part of it, but quite a few women got pregnant during the trials and they followed them through and there were no negative effects as a result of being on the vaccine and you had the advantage of being able to compare them to placebo. So compared to placebo, there was no difference in outcomes in pregnancy. Oh, that is good to know. It is. And that's all we've got time for on today's CoronaCast. If you have questions, wacky or otherwise, you can submit them at abc.net.au slash coronacast. We promise to be respectful. See you tomorrow. See you then.